You're listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast, your primary source of information related to the hospitality industry in Washington State. Good morning and welcome. Today we have financial consultant Rick Bra with us and he's going to talk to us about key strategies for success in 2022. I have a bit of housekeeping for you. If you have any questions, please type them into the Q&A section at the bottom of your Zoom screen. And we are recording this webinar and we're going to repo- we're going to post this to our YouTube channel and to our podcast later on today. And also a very special thank you to our sponsor, U.S. Bank. Uh, Visit our website, wahospitality.org, to find out about our payment solutions. So with that, good morning, Rick. Good morning. So I'm going to kick off just with my contact information. This will be on all the slides, but feel free to reach out to me with any other questions that you have beyond just this presentation. Glad to take a call. Glad to take an email. So please reach out um, as as, freely as you you please. So I want to talk today about the balance scorecard and I use keys so that I can remember. So planning, people, patrons, and profit. Those are the big four areas that you need to focus on this year. And you should have one major strategic initiative in each one of those areas at a minimum. So the first one is planning, and I cannot stress how important it is to get the business out in front of you. This is something that I've worked on for decades, and the only way to run your business is really to have it out in front of you, not from behind you. So lots of information coming to you. A lot of that is after the fact. And what we want to do is turn that around and plan forward. Now's the time. You've got to plan forward. You've got to get out in the community, figure out what's going on know what events are happening around you, but you've got to plan your business forward and then plan your capacity around that forecast. And most importantly, that first one there is is to optimize your hours of operation. I've said before that we've never had an opportunity like we have today. So we can be open when we need to be open. The restaurants can be open when they want to be open. Now you could lose some businesses around the fringe, but you really should be optimizing every hour of every day. And you'll see, because people are a a shortage right now, that you really need to have tight shifts that are optimized and a lot of it around the staff. And you'll see the major uh, restaurant chains really plan their days around their staff and how they can staff the restaurant so they don't hurt the guests. So make sure that every hour of the day is open, busy, close, busy. Plan your capacity needs. How many bodies are needed at the peak of the season? We're going into Mount Rainier season. So usually in the the city of Seattle, unless you're a large steakhouse, um, you'll see a big ramp up like the silhouette of Mount Rainier, and then it's going to come back down and settle into the holidays. And then it'll come back up a little bit, and then it'll go down through January, February. But right now you should be seeing some uptick in your sales. We saw a little bit around Valentine's Day through the rest of uh, February and January, by and large, was a disaster for most people. And right now is the time that you've got to get all of your staff. You've got to figure out what the peak business is going to be in the middle of summer, because it's going to be a very, very busy one. I know if you just look back to last year, um, we weren't even open yet, 100%. So it's going to be really busy. There are fewer restaurants in the industry right now. 
So your business should be feeling some pretty strong sales uh, if you're able to be open. We have a lot of our clients that, that actually have higher sales and are open less. And that's a real win, especially when bodies uh, to work are at a premium right now. So figure out where your shortfall is and get staffed up. And you're going to need to use every job board, pay referral fees and bonuses to get through busy season. I can't stress that enough. You, the feedback that I'm getting a lot is, first of all, I get 10 resumes. I call, I get an interview set up with 10 people. One of them shows up. Then that one person may or may not work out. So you've got to be very aggressive. And the reason that I like job boards is they also have AI. So when someone signs up for a job board, such as Indeed, which isn't huge in the restaurant industry, it's going to pop them an email that says, it looks like you're a good fit for Joe's Diner in such and such an area. So they're uh, aggressively going after that market of going to people. And that is also uh, wreaking havoc on changing jobs. So about 70% of people have considered leaving their job over the last year. Many, many people have quit already. Half of them have quit and changed jobs. So uh, you're lucky to have your long-term people. So treat them like gold. The next area is really planning your menu around cost and supply fluctuations. You've got to stay in 2022. So you've got to have a smaller core menu because you can't count on your products all the time. You've got to have more specials so you can take advantage of things that are coming in a, seasonally and uh, your vendors have a lot of it at the time. And you've got to use less labor. So smaller core menu, more specials, smaller labor. So you've got to be able to adapt and be fluid for 2022 because it's going to be really, really rocky. And that first bullet point is Ukraine and Russia produce 29% of the global wheat. That's fine. The next one scares me to death because corn is really what runs our society in the United States. And Russia and Ukraine produced 19% of global corn, 80% of the sunflower or oil. And another one that's very important is fertilizer. So Russia produces 9 million tons of fertilizer. Belarus, 8 million tons of fertilizer. That's an, uh, an ally to Russia. So the, between the two, they produce 17 million tons of fertilizer. That's more than the rest of the world combined. That is going to cause real havoc in the supply chain for the farmers. So that means they're going to fertilize less. That means there's going to be smaller crops. And that means that the feed going to the animals is going to be fewer and far between, which means skinny, skinnier uh, animals, less yield less supply in the market. And then lastly, of course, we've all felt the fuel, uh, but none like the farmers. So while we complain about the price of gas, we can stay home. They've got to get on a tractor and go out in the field. So that is much bigger deal for the farm. So those last two items there with the fertilizer and the fuel are huge for disruption, especially in the global supply chain, third world countries, but it is going to hit home very rapidly uh, in those farming communities. They can't fertilize at will, their fuel is very expensive, diesel, and then natural gas, of course, I believe Russia is the number one producer of that in the world. So uh, it's just going to be a very, very rocky year this year. So when you're engineering, really look at the top 
80% of your product products and engineer gross margin. Margin is more important this year than percentages. You want to make more money, not run better percentages. The percentages will follow, but for the most part, you just want to be focused on making more money and really treating your um, prime margin as the key metric, then prime cost after that. So if you can get a higher check average, even though it costs you a little bit more, you can make more money on that item. So focus on the top five sellers because they're going to contribute most of your menu mix. Watch your protein sizes and adjust them. So you saw that first bullet point of all of the corn, fertilizer, the fuel. Um, it's going to be a little bit rocky, particularly the latter part of the year through summer and then into uh, the latter part of the year as we begin to experience more of these shortages. Give the, the guests plenty of less expensive ingredients. You can fill the plate up with less expensive ingredients. Not that everything's going to be cheaper this year. Uh, the CEO of Domino's projected in his supply chain that product was going to go up between 8 and 10%. I think a lot of us are seeing that already uh, in the supply chain. So very important to engineer new beverage menus this year. So add infusions, barrel infusions, barrel-aged products, uh, stretch that liquor out a little bit. You can use less expensive liquors in your barrel-aged products, and they may even taste better when you get a little bit of age and a little bit of uh, barrel in there. So add more non-alcoholic drinks. So alcohol awareness is coming up in April. So we may see a little bit of drop there. We had uh, dryuary, <clears throat> which only about 7% of consumers participate in dryuary. But there also is this move to be sober curious, and that's a lot of our regular guests at the lower end now, the younger end, I should say, you know, Gen Z, millennials, they're very curious about being sober. So it's becoming a thing. You need to work with your supply chain. So once you master your forecast and master your demand, and then you really have to stick to it and make sure your vendors know well in advance what you're going to be selling, what you want to sell so that they can work with you. They can substitute products. They can get you things that you need uh, to get. But if you don't work with them well in advance, you could end up short. And that can really cause issues when it comes to your menu. That's one of the reasons that I think you need to shrink down your core menu and increase your specials more on the fly. If you've got the opportunity to print your menus, I highly recommend that you're still printing your menus, not printing them with a big expensive printing service and then putting them in plastic sleeves and leaving them there. You really need to um, be more nimble this year in printing. <clears throat> And then use those little um, uh, scanning technologies to also help too, to offset your menu price um, cost or your menu cost. So work with your vendors for availability of product. If they know what you're going to be doing, let's say that you forecasted $100,000 for the next month, you're going to spend $30,000 on food. You're going to spend, let's say, half of that on proteins. You work with your uh, vendors with proteins and produce uh, to find out what's going to be available, what's going to be affordable, and then run those products out through that period of time. Just remember that your vendors are experts and they know what's coming. It's shocking how much we don't depend on our vendors in the industry. So they know what's coming. We need to depend on them. They're a great source of information. So work with your rep, work with your vendors, plan and master that forecasting. Lisa, questions around that? No, we don't have any from the audience yet, but I have okay. one. Okay. Uh, what is causing the biggest pain in the industry right now? Well, I'm glad you asked because the next slide is really about people. So 
Um, the Restaurant Finance and Development Conference this past year in Las Vegas, John Tapper was one of the host speakers. And he got up on stage. And as you know, he's kind of an angry presenter. He got up on stage and he's pacing back and forth. He's a big guy. and He's very loud. And he's saying, listen, everybody, two years ago, I was here. We were talking about labor. Two years before that, we were talking about labor. Two years before that, we were talking about labor. When are you going to get it through your thick skulls that labor is always going to be a problem in this industry. You need to get over it and you need to fix it. So in preparation for this particular uh, presentation, I went back and read some of my older stuff. And guess what a lot of it was about? Labor shortages, staffing shortages, crisis in the industry around people. It's the exact same problem that we've been dealing with for the last 30 to 40 years years. All the way back to the olden days, we've been having problems with staffing. They're not going to go away. So Taffer's whole entire presentation revolved around how do we fix this? And it was really around having ready-to-go products. And in his particular case, he's got a 200-plus seat dining room. He said he uses two cooks because he has a commissary, but he does a lot of sous vide and, and it's a steakhouse. So he has a number of different um, items that he sous vides and then they basically just reheat them and throw them out the window and, and he with a smirk on his face said I don't need chefs in the restaurant I need people that can cut bags and warm food so it's become a much more hospitable place to work because you don't have the front versus back the table times are quicker and the product is better and more consistent so I thought that was really really great I know a, a number of years ago sous vide was a big move in the industry just never really went uh, too far with our uh, industry, but uh, that's basically if you if you re if you don't know what that is, you basically seal your product in a bag and bring it up to temperature um, in a uh, water. So it's a great cooking technology. That's what he uses for a lot of his um, cuts and labor, because he said he just can't continue to sit back and do nothing about labor. So strong operators are more important than strong support. I see a lot of organizations that continue to throw bodies at the support level because their operations are weak. And that is a really bad idea because the only place to make money is on the floor. And if we throw a bunch of money at support and we have weak operators, we have weak operations. So strong operators are more important than strong support. And years ago, there's a story about a local burger chain who brought in a high-end CEO and he wanted a local milkshake. Blackberries were in season. He wanted blackberry uh, shake. So he went to his people and said, hey, how long is it going to take to get a blackberry shake on the menu? I really want to uh, be seasonal in this organization. They said, well, it's got to go through product development and then it has to go through approval, so on and so forth. Best case scenario, six months. Worst case scenario, a year. So he dug in and he decided at that point, in order to become more nimble, he needed to fire everybody above the restaurant. And he started working with the general managers, gave them all raises, empowered them, and they became very nimble and they could get a new product on the menu in one to two weeks after that point. Because the support staff is actually slowing things down because they've got to go through certain protocols. So it's more important to have strong operators and strong support around the operators. So strong GMs in the restaurant are more important than strong support staff 
And if you do have support staff, spread them out somewhat. So what do strong operators want? Well, according to the career counselor and provider at SETI, they want a good benefits package. No surprise there. The next two are a little bit surprising. They want values that match their own. They want purpose that goes beyond merely making a profit. So it's not just about money. They want plentiful career development and progression opportunities, which is important. Um, and if you flatten your organization, you've got to work that out. Uh, which means pay me more money, but let me keep learning uh, if I have to stay in the store. And they want a strong brand reputation. They want to work at places that are well-respected, that put a smirk on your face when you are asked, you know, where do you work? And they want to be able to proudly say where they work. So you've got strong brand reputation. So there's some cleanup to do in the industry around those things. Those are what the strongest operators want. And if you can't find strong operators, go back and look at these and say, do we offer a good benefits package? Do we pay well? Do we have um, benefits that they can either get um, or we pay for? Do we have clearly defined values? So we're not just talking about when can you go to work? Because if you, if you interview, for example, for cultural fit and you talk about your workplace in your interview, you need to lead with culture. Or are you going to be like everyone else? How many hours can you work and when can you start? That's kind of where we've been and we can't be there anymore. People want meaningfulness. We've seen that whole term of the great resignation. And what we are starting to see is the great regret or boomerang employees. They always think it's grass is greener on the other side. Uh, and, and so what they find out is the coffee is just as bad. So we're starting to see that there is some regret in the workplace but they want these things. They want good benefits. They want values that match their own. They want a purpose that goes on beyond making a profit. They want plentiful career development, progression opportunities, and strong brand reputation. You may not be able to give them all of this, but you can certainly give them the last one. And that's completely on the owners and the, and the managers of the restaurants to develop that strong brand reputation, a brand that people are proud to be a part of. Otherwise, you're like everyone else. But do make sure that you're interviewing for cultural fit. Someone said, you know, it's not about values nowadays. It's about getting people in. And I can guarantee you, if you take that approach, they're going to leave right after that. They're going to get in. Most people find out this isn't what I signed up for. The job's different than what I thought it was going to be. So you really need to be transparent about your culture in your workplace. You know, we when we interview, we go through at our company, we go through and we talk about you know, this is a very professional, very fast-paced environment. We expect you to live our values. Here they are. Let's talk about whether you fit into those. So it's all about cultural fit and values fit to make sure that they want to stick around because then they know what they signed up for. And that was one of the strong points in my first company that I worked for, a company called Restaurants Unlimited that's now gone. Uh, but the values were the piece that held that company together. And don't be afraid to pay. So top rider. Uh, operators deserve a premium and you'll lock them up with a premium for at least a period of time until you can get those other things worked out with your benefits and all of those things. But a really high produ highly productive, engaged employee will give you a day and a half of work for a full day pay compared to someone that's somewhat disengaged will give you a half a day. 
for full day pay. And that came from engaging it. And then shift your languages away from bonuses and into profit sharing. Everyone understands that if you don't make a profit, you can't share anything. But they don't understand when they work their tail off, they hit their goals, there's no bonus, there's no bonuses. So we really need to shift the entire industry to profit sharing. I don't want everyone to hear bonuses. It's about profit sharing. And especially over the last couple of years, there was no profit for a lot of people. We were propped up government programs, which thank God we had them because this industry would have been flatlined if had we not had uh, the kind of support from the government, we'd be missing hundreds of thousands of restaurants at this point. So thank God that we had that government assistance, but there wasn't a lot of, pro uh, a lot of profit to share. And people understand when there's no profit, there's nothing to share in, but they don't understand not getting a bonus. So I don't like the term bonus. I think it's hurtful rather than helpful. Uh, I think that it creates kind of an elitist class, a caste system. So I really like profit sharing over bonuses. Much more comprehensive term, much more understandable. So we need to shift away from bonuses and into profit sharing. And top operators understand the more that the company makes, the more they can make. And that's where we want to go. Not I work harder, I work harder, I work harder, but my bonus stayed the same. So profit sharing over bonuses. And then increase your pricing to cover increased expenses. So you need to do this two to four times a year. A few months ago, I really pushed our clients to do four times a year. Some of the feedback that I got was that four times a year just felt like the, the customers are coming in or the guests are coming in saying, you're changing your prices all the time. Just change them, set it and forget it and move on. So uh, just know your guests really well to do that. I see that maybe a question, Lisa? Yeah, how much of the profit do you recommend sharing? Um, the program that I like the best is what does it take in order for the owners to get a reasonable return for their investment and their effort? So you set a break point that basically says, okay, I want, let's say that that you've got a, a $2 million restaurant and you uh, think that you need to make at least $200,000 at that. I would set up a profit sharing program after that break point. In other words, not from ground zero, because you'll go underwater if you do that. The break point really should be at that point where the owners or the investors have got a reasonable return on their investment and their time because they're not free. Uh, that break point above that, then you might split it 75-25, you might split it 80-20, you might go 90-10, <clears throat> depending on how big the numbers are, but you want everybody to make more money. And I can tell you, these programs work. They really, really work when you show people profit. And some people are very uncomfortable going below a certain line. So a lot of our clients, I'd say about 90% of our clients, we've got a couple hundred restaurants, about 90% of them stop at net income or uh, store level profit before occupancy, before you pay the rent. They don't want to worry about paying the rent and paying business insurance and how much is the owner taking out. So they set that level on that Nebo number or that uh, net operating income number. Uh, and then they have a split beyond that. So it's a great program. How do you respond to questions when people want to know what that percentage is? You got to show them. You just be very, very writing. transparent. Very transparent. So look, this is what we're going to do is we have this break-even point. Let's say it's 20%, say $2 million restaurant. 
and you want to have 25% net, net income before you pay the rent and pay any other expenses below the line. So we have a $500,000 break-even point for the restaurant. Anything above that, and that might be a little bit high for some people, but anything above that is going to be split 75-25. And the reason 75-25 is the owners need to just make it really clear, very transparent. Look, we have to pay taxes and all that. And I still need to pay percentage rent and all sorts of other things that, that are... Uh, uh, below that line that you don't see. There's a lot of expenses and they get it as long as you're transparent. If you're not transparent and you do it in a vacuum and you, and you don't show people the numbers that they can focus on, they get suspicious. So uh, it's very important to show them the number that they understand, the one that they normally focus on anyways, and then give them a split beyond that. All right. Thank you. Okay. So teach, train, develop your people. So You've got to systemize your people development or all you will do is deal with people issues. The rogue era is over. It's time to get back to work. We've had a couple of years of, of uh, in and out and trying to make people happy and get them to stick around and lots of to go and lots of pivoting, but that era has ended. And now it is time to get people back to work uh, and performing. And the most important thing you can do there is set standard operating procedures in the 90s, when I was with RUI, I'll never forget one of the uh, regional chefs, the big smile on his face saying, I cannot believe how much easier this company is to run since we've set our SOPs because everybody's focused on the same thing. This is how we do it. This is what we do. And you get everybody focused on standard operating procedures. And the way to really think about that is imagine outsourcing your operations. How would you do it? In other words, you have to bring another company in and you have to have them, when they come in, you have to have them come in. They have to be able to run your operations based on paper and computer, not based on training. You've got to give them a set of documents to say, here's how we run our company. That's the level that you want to get to. Otherwise, you're dependent on people over and over and over. So bullet point number one, invest in a learning management system. So put control of learning in the hands of your people. It allows people to learn at different levels, with different um, speed, with different type of learning. So some are kinesthetic, they want to put their hands on it. Some are auditory, some are visual. So some people like to watch the, a video, but put that into the hands of your people. And these systems are harder to bring up than they are to pay the bill. But I'll guarantee you, it'll reduce your turnover. And that is what causes us to deal with people issues over and over and over. You'll spend half your time, if not more, just dealing with people issues. And all you want to do in some cases is cook, serve, uh, run your business. Instead, you're dealing with, with people issues over and over and over. So a good learning management system, it's cost effective. So there's no complete training over and over and over. You can point people to different modules inside of it. It's a computer program. Ease of accessibility. They can learn on their own that we spoke about. They can collaborate and have common language. A lot of successful companies have a lot of acronyms. So we had a ton of them at RUI. Our best operators also have a ton of acronyms. So acronyms are really common language. They can manage courses. You can manage courses. So somebody wants a beverage 101 or a food 101 or a finance 101, you can put those courses together and you can put them in this learning management system and you're not dependent on people to pull them off and have live trainings all the time. You can track goals and milestones, you can stay up to date so you can update information, it's right there and you can point people back to it. And you can also purchase classes, which is one of the things that I like. So 
leadership skills, management skills, things that are really common. You can buy classes and you can put them on your learning management system and people can get that same training from world-class people. Invest in full-time training personnel. And someone could say, you know, I really can't afford to have a full-time trainer. That's fine, but you can certainly outsource it. So use that training personnel Use their expertise to build and systemize tools and to set your SOPs, to get in there and to break everything apart and put it on paper, get it into your learning management system or get it into your training manuals, but use an, a person that's dedicated to training. It's a different skill. Not everybody's good at it. Some people are great. Some people are awful. And if we have a poor trainer, we end up with a poor employee and that causes turnover because relationships break up when one first person feels bad about him or herself. And so you, these people go to work, they haven't been properly trained, they feel bad about themselves, so they quit. And it's very expensive to do that. Some estimate between two and 10 times the annual salary, but I know for good and well, it's three to 4,000 bucks for just to turn over uh, a staff person not even a manager, manager, probably one time's uh, salary, at least, but people, people trying to tell you stuff, uh, sell you stuff will be, uh, have a much higher statistic and then invest time teaching hands-on when staff feel important, they stick around and there's nothing like, uh, the manager or the owner actually investing some time, working hands-on connecting, creating relationships and seeing what the other person can do. So invest time teaching hands-on and then invest in a performance management system so employees can track their progress. And a lot of times maybe it's included in a learning management system if you put one in, but you've got to have a performance management system. I know there's been a lot of movement over the last 10 to 15 years of you know, the traditional annual performance review is dead. Uh, ongoing feedback uh, is the new thing, but we have to be able to track that regardless. And I still see a lot of people that, that still say, when, when are we going to sit down and talk about my performance? Well, I give you on, on the fly feedback all the time. Yeah, but I really like to talk about my performance. What's that mean? I need more money. So let's talk about my performance and then you can give me a raise. And then just as a reminder, let this sink in. Your lowest level employees represent your brand to the vast majority of guests. We can put all the shine on a brand that you want. And you know, plenty of them that have gone out of business that were absolutely gorgeous builds out, build out great brands, but the lowest level employees, an unfriendly host, a poor server, a bartender that can't get their stuff together, slow service, slow out of the kitchen, not well composed plates, or at least put together in an orderly fashion, nice clean plate, or bus service, all of these things, they represent your brand to the vast majority of the guests. And oftentimes we give them the keys and we let them take off in our beautiful sports car that we spend all of our money building. So always remember the people that are on the floor, the people that interact with your guests are the most important people in your restaurants. Spend your time with them, invest in them and make them very, very strong. Moving on to the guest, every guest, every time. In the, in the 90s, we had a CEO that came in and, and the, all CEOs were allowed to set one major goal for the year. And I'll never forget this one. His goal for the year was every guest, every time. And I thought, that is so simple. We all know that. I can't even believe that's your one goal for the year. And it took a while 
to sink in. What he was really saying is we're really good at serving half a table. We're good at serving the outside two, maybe the outside one, or the person that's going to be paying the bill or the one that's the most vocal. And what he was saying was, you need to serve every guest every time. Every guest that walks through the door, they get a thank you, they get a thanks for coming in, they get a, a warm welcome. Every single guest that hits a table is served at the table. It's not just the people paying the bill. It's every guest created a connection. Because a lot of times on a table of four, you're going to have somebody that's never been there before. That's the one you're after. The other three have been there already. You want to reinforce their visit, but you want to go after that newbie. And you can't go after that newbie if you don't know that they're sitting at the table. Because somebody else that's been there is very natural at talking and interacting, so on and so forth. So almost pick on the introvert at the table. The one that is not speaking. But serve and connect with every single guest that walks through your door. You would do that at your house. Imagine having a party and you had 25 people over to your house and five of them never got, never got a thank you for coming, never connected with you. You, lose, you lost out on a huge opportunity to convert them to friends. Take loyalty to the next level. So know your guest inside and out. They spend at a premium. And we're starting to see statistics that are outrageous in how valuable loyalty programs are. And that's because guests love rewards. All of you are the same as well as me. We love working towards a goal. So if you're a frequent flyer, you'll end up paying more to go on your favorite airline. I do it all the time. I'll pay a little bit more to go on Alaska. I like Alaska. I feel comfortable. I know where the gates are. I know what I'm in for. I know when they're going to serve their drinks or bring their food. I know how to use the app. And I'm working towards a goal, right? I want to be MVP gold or whatever it is that's going to make me feel better about, you know, being able to get on the plane first or get on last or do whatever I need to do. But I love working towards a goal. And so do you. All consumers do. They love rewards. Starbucks, extremely successful with their app. Extremely. Building rewards. Rewards. Just make sure you get it right if you don't have one. Make sure you get it right at the beginning because you don't want to backtrack, give away too much. But I'm telling you, I have studied this over and over and over for at least a decade. And it is amazing how much of a return on investment you get by having a loyalty program. And that's because point number two there is 92% trust word of mouth. So if you have really loyal guests and they recommend your restaurant, 92% of the people that they're telling it to are going to trust. Oh, I have to try it. If I tell somebody you need to go here, I got to try it. They write it down, right? Because they trust it. They know, especially if, if you are a member someplace and you have a vested interest on the benefits of, of having a loyalty program, you really stop competing on price. As I mentioned, I'll pay a little bit more to go to my favorite restaurant. I'll pay a little bit more to go on my favorite airline and I'm going to spend more. It helps my retention, helps you retain your guests. It increases the lifetime value of that guest. You know, everybody, you're going to lose about 20% of them every year anyways. 20% of your guests are going to move away, die, or be sick. That's the way it goes, but you will increase. You'll spread out that lifetime value of the guest by having a great loyalty program. You want to build those personal relationships through that program as well. It allows them to attach to you. You attach with them. They're there more frequently. They become your regulars. It's an awesome thing. And it creates brand loyal, uh, brand advocates. That came from Loyalty Lion uh, from their website. It's a great website. Lots of good stuff out there. So remember to create regulars on every table. 
So you have about 60 to 80% of your people that come in over and over and over. You want to spoil them rotten. You want to recognize them. You want to bring them a dessert. You want to make them feel great about themselves. I remember years ago when I was living close to a Pagliacci, I would call and the manager would get on the, the line every once in a while and just say, hey, I just want to let you know we bought your pizza tonight. How much did that cost them? Now they lost the sale, but then I turn around and order more and I order more frequently. So my spend actually went up even though they gave away a free pizza. So their cost was they did lose that particular sale, but I turned around and I got uh, ice cream or gelato. I added on some pasta. I did some other things um, just because they, they spent the time to spoil me. And I thought that is a great, great surprise and delight. That's really surprise and delight is a key thing that we need to be all about this year. Surprise and delight your guests. And then lastly, Treat your to-go and your third-party people like dining guests. Even though they have different needs, they're here to stay. And if you don't hang on to them, someone else will. And that's one of the great surprises out of coming out of the pandemic is that we did such a wonderful job as an industry, I think, of creating a great third-party delivery and to-go program that people don't want to let go of it. And by the way, prices in the grocery store are going up faster than they're going up in restaurants. So... We have an opportunity at least, at least through you know, the spring here to uh, capitalize on to go third party. Um, those, those day parts are not gonna, they're not gonna go away. Just make sure that you have your POS integrated with those platforms. Don't just purchase a platform or sign up for a platform that does not integrate with your POS. You're asking for headaches. You're asking for a headache in the kitchen. You're asking for a headache on the back end and reconciling. So make sure they integrate and have standard operating procedures. Make sure that you have that entire experience, what it's like, order food from your own restaurant, document it all and say, this is what I would like to see, write standard operating procedures around them. And then take those people that are doing to go and third party and convert them to dining guests as well increase that that value there. Yeah, if anybody has questions, feel free to type them into the chat or the Q&A. Um, and while we're waiting for that, Rick, do you have any other advice for us? Yeah, so the last area that I want to cover is really about profit. So on the profit side, this is the year that you really need to manage your margin and not percentages. And one of the smartest guys I know in the industry has three or four restaurants, and he has always told me that it changed his restaurant when he started focusing on prime margin rather than prime cost and treating them as a unit. How much money do I make on these products? So the first point is don't lose your price increases. I see this way too often. What happens is that let's say that we manage or you manage your labor based on percentage. You raise your prices, your percentage should go down on, those, on, those, uh, on that step. What happens is it gets, it gets lost because we just schedule right back up. Let's say that that back of the house labor or kitchen labor is supposed to be 15% of food sales. We raise the food prices. Guess what happens? We still schedule 15% of food sales. So don't lose those. Don't manage percentages as much this year as you manage dollars. So make more money. Your percentages may suffer, but if you are paying more in one area and you raise your prices, you should expect to see a reduction, at least on a percentage of like operating expenses, maybe your rent, if it's not on percentage rent, uh, credit card fees are gonna stay the same, but there are items that are fixed that you're paying that will go down as a percentage because you raised your prices if they're not based on uh, variable, um, 
if they're not moving its variable expenses with them. So it's all about prime margin this year as well as prime cost. So managing your, your margin. So when you develop an item, when you put an item on the menu, how much labor is it gonna cost you? Is it gonna increase your labor? A lot of times we wanna you know, throw something like a handmade pasta out, but we can't staff the kitchen because we know handmade pasta is cheap, but we can't staff the kitchen. So in a case like that, where you've got a lot of fixed labor and you've got too much labor hanging around, a handmade pasta might be a, a good idea, but that's just not the world that we're living in right now. And then outsource everything. So stick to your wheelhouse. You don't belong in the accounting world. You don't belong in the legal world. You don't belong in the IT world. You don't belong for the most part in the HR world. So these non-operational functions, you really should be outsourcing them so that you can focus on what you need to be focused on. Because I would rather have you take five hours that you spend on HR or dealing with legal or something else and spend that time working on systemizing your restaurants. Systemize everything. It's got to be systemized. It's got to be able to be handed off to somebody else. And then keep your overhead lean. This is not a good year to inflate your overhead. Keep it lean. So spend your money in the operations, not in the people above operations. Spend your money on the operations. Keep your overhead lean. Outsource everything you possibly can that's non-operational. Stick to your wheelhouse, systemize everything. And then lastly, make sure if you haven't extended your EIDL and you qualify that you get that done in short order uh, so they don't close the program down uh, right away. So if you qualify, make sure you run that EIDL up to where you feel comfortable running it up because it's 30 year, 3.75%. Now 30 months deferred. It used to be 12 when it, when it came out, then it went to 24. Now it's at 30. I wouldn't be surprised to see it go to 36. That's really an inexpensive money. Now, remember it does accrue interest. So it is accruing interest on that. But it's simple interest, not compound interest, meaning 3.75% on $100,000 is $37.50 a year. The next year, it's still $37.50. It doesn't compound on the $103,750. It's not compounded. It's simple interest. So something to keep in mind there. Uh, I think it's really a good investment. I think now is a good time for you to do it because if you got a lot of your ERC money, you're going to owe taxes on that. And some people got a lot of money they're going to have to pay a lot of tax. They may not have the cash flow right now because they're waiting for those ERC proceeds to come in, which we're starting to see 2020 starting to flow. We haven't seen any 2021 money yet, but we're seeing 2020 ERC uh, flowing in. And if you have any questions around ERC or you haven't done it, please contact me. Um, we can help you. So uh, that's the employee retention credit, or some people call it the ERTC, the employee retention tax credit. Um, you'll want to make sure that you maximize that and uh, we've got special techniques that can help you do that uh, that will actually cover the cost of having it done. So there's uh, very, very important that you extend your EIDL, especially if you haven't got all your EIC, ERC money. You can use that money to pay your ERC tax bill. And then you can turn around when you get your ERC and you can pay off your EIDL at any time without penalty. That is a, a very important point uh, if you've got a lot of ERC money. Coming. So just to reiterate, you want to run a balanced business. You want to have great planning. You want to have great people. You want to have great patrons and you want to have great profitability. And that gives you balance. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rick. This was very informative. 
Uh, to our members, we will have this up on our YouTube channel later on today, as, along with Rick's slides, too. So if you want to have a copy of those and get uh, Rick's contact information, these are all on those. Um, and thank you again to our sponsor today, U.S. Bank. Rick, thanks again. This Absolutely. Another interesting webinar. Mike, my, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Washington Hospitality Industry Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, wahospitality.org, where you can learn more about the restaurant and lodging industries and the Washington Hospitality Association. Be sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google, Spotify, or iHeartRadio so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Thank you so much for that effort. Until next time.